with the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. In today's show, we'll talk about the U.S. Federal Reserve raised the interest rate to highest in 16 years, and China sees over 270 million domestic trips during the May Day holiday. And now let's begin with our top story. The U.S. central bank has raised the interest rates to the highest level in 16 years. The Federal Reserve increases key interest rate by 25 basis points, and this is the tenth hike in 14 months. CGTN's Owen Fatlow reports from Washington. The U.S. central bank, the Federal Reserve, has raised its benchmark interest rate that influences most types of credit for a tenth consecutive time in a little over a year. That rate now up to 5.25 percent, the highest in 16 years, sending the cost of credit for pretty much any kind of credit here in the U.S. rising once again. And in doing so, the Fed is sending out two strong messages. One to businesses and consumers that this inflation crisis isn't over, with core inflation at around five percent. That's more than double where the Fed wants it. It's also left the door open to future increased rate rises, despite the expectation that this could be the last rate rise for some time. And the second message is to the U.S. banking sector. Four U.S. banks have collapsed in recent months, prompting concerns about wider contagion in the banking sector. Two of those banks, Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic, both went under partly because of those rising interest rates. And yet, the Fed is saying to the banking sector, "We've already accommodated you with emergency lending to the tune of tens of billions of dollars, so you can't expect too much more." Here's Jerome Powell, the chair of the Fed. We've used our our financial stability tools to support banks through our lending facilities. And、um, at the same time, we've been able to、uh, use our monetary policy tools to foster maximum employment and price stability. On top of an inflation crisis and a banking sector crisis, the U.S. government is also embroiled in a debt crisis. By the 1st of June, the Treasury Department is warning that the U.S. government may not be able to meet its obligations, may not be able to pay its bills to keep the government functioning. Unless it raises the debt limit, that's the amount that the U.S. government is legally allowed to borrow. To some degree, this is not the Fed's problem. It's up to lawmakers and the White House to negotiate and raise the debt limit. The U.S. Treasury Department is warning that by around the 1st of June, the U.S. government may effectively run out of money and may not be able to meet its financial obligations unless its borrowing limits are raised, known as the debt ceiling. And yet, Congress and the White House are deadlocked in, neg- in negotiations over how much to raise that debt limit. With opposition Republicans demanding budget cuts as the price of any agreement, there's little the Fed can do about this. It's up to lawmakers and the White House to figure this out. But the Fed is warning that the consequences of the U.S. running out of money would be catastrophic, not just for the U.S. economy, but for the wider global economy as well. And it's warned those lawmakers and the White House not to count on the Fed to effectively bail them out. There's only so much the Fed can do in this kind of crisis. Owen Fairclough, CGTN. Washington.
So for more on this, join us on the line now, uh, Yan Liang, Professor of Economics, Willamette University, and also Aina Tangen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. So Aina, first of all, the Fed increases key interest rate by 25 basis points this time. So why is this interest rate hike now? And the Federal Reserve started raising the interest rate aggressively last year when the prices in the U.S. were soaring at the fastest pace. But do you think the previous interest rate hikes have worked? No, I don't. Um, the uh, Basically, as we were talking before, the, the U.S. went on this massive spending spree during the um, COVID time, and they just sent money out. And they're, now they're surprised. It's kind of like drinking. You can drink a lot, but then you're going to have a hangover. And that's what uh, they're looking at. So right now, his push uh, to tame inflation is actually hurting the economy more. It's driving it into recession. And, you know, and people make this mistake of saying, well, inflation, recession, they're about the same. If interest rates are very high and inflation is high, you know, why I'm not going to do business. But they're not the same. Inflation erodes your income. Uh, when you have a recession, it takes away your job. And it's very, very important uh, distinction there. And the damage that has done, uh, and you know, countless studies have shown this, is that when you have a recession that could lead to a pre- depression, you are really having a tremendous amount of economic damage. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, now the interest rate is the highest level in 16 years, and it's above 5%. So would this be too much? Is that beyond investors' uh, expectations? How would the U.S. economy react to this additional rise? Yeah, so this is a relatively you know, high interest rate, as you just point out. But I think what is more problematic is the very fast pace of rising interest rates. Um, you know, by last year, February 2022, uh, the effective Fed funds rate was about 0.08%. So in just less than, uh, well, in just a little over a year, um, they have raised the interest rate by, you know, 400 basis points. And so that definitely, you know, that short amount of time and very fast pace of tightening, I think that really um, is damaging to the economy as what Ina was talking about. Mm. Um, so, you know, on the one hand, we do still see the labor market is doing fine at this point, you know, low unemployment rate of, you know, um, 5%. Um, and inflation goes down somewhat. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I think we do see the labor market is cooling. And it's hard to know, um, you know, how, how fast that cooling is going to, to be. But I think the major point is there is a lot of implications for the financial sector. So that's what we have seen, you know, SVB, Signature Bank, and now the First Republican Bank. Um, that's the, you know, second largest bank failure um, in the United States. So I think what has happened is really that, you know, in addition to this damage to the normal economy, you know, business sentiment, employment decisions, and so on and so forth, I think what is more damaging is really that financial instability. And as a result of that, you know, these regional banks are going to tighten their lending, I think, which is very, um, I, I think it's very unfortunate because, you know, these banks are really lending to some of the smaller and medium-sized enterprises and, mm. you know, some of the really brick and water of, of the real economy. Um, so I think that is very undesirable consequence. So if there's any, uh, you know, sort of impact on taming inflation, it does not come from the so-called, you know, uh, reducing wage price spiral because that didn't exist in the first place. 
um, it more came from how it reduced credit supply uh, by engineering a sort of banking crisis. Mm-hmm. And Aina, though, so the Federal Reserve is sending out two strong messages: one to business and consumers that uh, this inflation crisis isn't over, and the second message to the U.S. banking sector for U.S. banks have collapsed in recent months, uh, prompting concerns about the wider contagion in the banking sector. So how do you read into it? Well, I don't think they know what they're doing. I mean, Powell is going to go down in history as uh, one of the more inept uh, leaders of the Fed. Um, you know, and exactly what uh, Jan said. And this unprecedented uh, <laughs> rise in the in treasuries is toxic. It's uh, created a real problem across the United States and the world as what people thought was a safe investment turned into something that you know was losing massive amounts of money and that's what happened to uh, silicon valley bank and it's having repercussions across the banking sector so they're they're trying to say that the only uh, problem is inflation and that they can handle the uh, whatever is going on in the banks but the fact is you know they bailed out S, uh, SVB and Signature in an unprecedented move. Mm. You know they just said, "Look, we're going to take care of all the deposits." That's I, I don't even know how they were able to do that, but they did, and that is a signal that this is an extremely serious situation. They wouldn't have done it otherwise. Mm. So they're sending out their signals, but I, I think they're crossed and uh, misplaced. Well, Aina, so do you think the banking sector turmoil or crisis is under control now? No, it isn't. Uh, you're starting to see the contagion uh, go to other smaller banks. Uh, you're seeing runs on on the banks themselves, unprecedented amounts of money flowing into money market accounts, etc. Um, you know, people are seeking safety at a time when there's tremendous amounts of uncertainty. Um, and you know, and and going to one of Yan's point, you know, typically when you have low unemployment. That means that wages are rising. And as she said, that spiral is not happening. Actually, uh, wages are decreasing. Um, and you, it's it's really, this is a, a really troublesome sign. The Fed is not reading it right. Uh, they don't understand that, you know, what, you know, people are, the jobs that are available are, are working in um, hospitality or the medical industry. These are all industries with no added uh, uh, value in terms of, you know, making the economy better, their transfer payments. Uh, so there's, you know, you know, it's, it's not going to change the economy itself. The demand is there, but uh, that's not going to last as the economy starts to shrink. So you're going to see some really sharp drop off coming soon, and it's going to be very unfortunate. Mm. And Yen, so take a look at the growth of the U.S. economy in quarter one. The GDP growth is 1.1%, and this is what the central bank wanted to fight the inflation. But there are concerns that they may have gone too far. So how much of a slowdown is too much? And what does this uh, GDP figure tell us about the U.S. economy? Right. So I think the GDP figure tells us that, you know, the U.S. economy is going very slow and uh, some of the forecasts to put the second quarter growth rate to about 0.3 percent. So, yeah, I think what the Fed is trying to do, as they call it, is to try to strike the balance of the soft lending. um, And so not to put the economy uh, in the negative growth territory, but at the same time trying to, you know, contain inflation. Um, They now think that inflation 
you know, is sticky, uh, which means, you know, right now they're looking at, uh, you know, their favorite index is the personal consumption index, expenditure index, um, which was up by 4.2% in March. Um, but they believe that this number is still way too high. Um, their target is, you know, 2% as their long-term target. So it's likely that, you know, they're going to um, probably um, keep the interest rate at the level um, as it is now, but definitely not cutting it. I think that's very clear from the policy, uh, from the FOMC uh, statement. Um, but it's not exactly sure if they're going to hike it again. Um, they, in March, they had a statement in their FOMC uh, statement that says, you know, we would anticipate um, further, you know, policy firming. Um, but this time they didn't put that line in their statement. So that seems to be some signaling that they may not uh, continue to hike rates, but definitely they're not going to lower the rates anytime soon. Hmm. Now, monetary policy, you know, does have a very long time lag. Um, and now also with the banking sector uncertainty. So it's very difficult to know in the short term um, or even just, you know, next few months. I think it's yet to see what the monetary tightening's uh, full impacts are going to be. Mm. So we're just going to have to uh, wait and see. I also just wanted to make a correction. I think the unemployment rate, um, the most recent figure for the United States is 3.5%. Um, and one last thing that I just want to add quickly is this whole episode as what um, Ina was talking about, you know, this, this bailout um, that we see again, right? So JP Morgan Chase, um, the same guy, the same company, the same ba big bank, mm. um, which acquired Bear Stern back in 2008, and now they're, you know, spending $10 billion now acquire, you know, the, um, the First Republic, which is a great deal for them. Um, they're booking a game, uh, you know, upfront, uh, but then they are also getting, you know, some of the guarantees and loans from the Federal Reserves to be able to broker to, to actually do the deal. Um, now they're having, you know, about 2.4 uh, trillion dollars of deposits, which is close to 10% of the U.S. total. So what that means is, again, I think if, even if this banking episode is going to be sort of uh, stabilized, um, we're still having much bigger problems down the road. You know, that sort of too big to fail problem is going to just be worsened um, as, you know, if more regional banks are in trouble and they're acquired. And so we likely see more banking concentration. Mm. And Aina, yeah. so how do you look at the U.S. job market? And actually, the technology companies are laying off tens of thousands of jobs. So what's behind this massive layoffs? Oh, the economy. I mean, uh, it's simply uh, there's a cool down. People realize that losing money uh, might sound fashionable when things are going well, but, you know, revenues are very important. Uh, so many of these companies, uh, you know, had big ideas and uh, they're going to capture the market, but they didn't have... Uh, any kind of uh, <laughs> revenue plan in terms of what was going to come in. They were all relying on advertising and things like this. But, you know, at the same time that um, you, you, you have their parents being laid off, they're finding that their, you know, children uh, as young as 10 years old are being, you know, <laughs> working at McDonald's and other fast food restaurants because they find it very hard to uh, get people. So, you know, you, you have this situation where, yeah, there's demand, but it's at the very, very low end. I mean, if you want to be an usher at a movie theater, yes, there's plenty of opportunities. But if you want to have a job that's making $150,000 a year plus, 
uh, those jobs are, are, are really not uh, available. So uh, the overall picture that the Fed is painting is incorrect. They're not looking at the finer details. Um, and I said, it's this myopia over uh, inflation, which is uh, actually going to have severe consequences for the U.S. I mean, if they had gone with another 50 percent, uh, 50 point basis rise, I would have said we're heading towards a depression. It's we're definitely going towards a recession. The question is just how severe it's going to be and how long it lasts. Mm. And yeah, actually, in quarter one, the personal consumption was up 3.7 percent. So people are still spending. But on the other hand, the business spending dropped sharply, according to figures. So how worried are you that employers are not as confident about the future as before? Right. So I think that is concerning because, you know, business investment, they're forward looking. So if the businesses are not investing, you know, their investment sentiment, their positive outlook of the economy is is waning, um, then, you know, it's really a sign of, you know, economic slowdown or even recession. Now, consumer spending is keeping up. I think, you know, on the one hand, uh, probably because the, the labor market is still looking good and people are still optimistic about getting jobs. Um, right now, there's still you know 1.6 job opening for every one job seeker. So I think people are still feeling pretty good about the labor market, even though, um, yes, the wage growth has been slowing down. And basically, you know, now the wage growth uh, in March is about 4.2% which, as we know, is lower than the inflation rate. So the real wage growth is actually negative. Um, but still, I think because the relatively optimistic view about the job market, um, I think consumers are still willing to spend, um, not to mention they're definitely using a lot of their credit cards. Um, the credit card balance has jumped up uh, a lot. And so that is a, you know unsustainable pattern where you know, is the credit field uh, consumption demand that has been uh, helping the economy to grow at this point. But again, you know, that is not reliable. Mm. So, Aina, on top of an inflation crisis and banking sector crisis, the U.S. government is also embroiled in a debt crisis. So how will that evolve? That's the question everyone is asking. Will the uh, uh, Congress and uh, Joe Biden reach a settlement over extending uh, the borrowing cap uh, if they don't? Uh, you know, Janet Yellen says by June 1st, the U.S. runs out of money. She can take extraordinary measures uh, and then secondary extraordinary measures. But at some point you run out. It's a default. You have the, bo the bond rating agencies will immediately downgrade U.S. debt. You could see a run on the dollar as people sense that the U.S. is in the not control of its economy. But long term, you have the situation where the debt debt continues to balloon. I mean, where we, it's at 31.2 trillion, then it was at 30, and it's now at 31.8 trillion, uh, and it's it's growing. And they don't seem to have any way of doing it. Uh, we're coming out; of, they're going into recession. That's going to obviously affect uh, tax revenues as the economy slows down, um, and while debt debt is ballooning. And also remember uh, that you know during this whole period of rate rises. It's basically more than doubled the amount that the uh, that has to be paid on these bonds. So the the debt uh, you know uh, amount of the budget that is paid for the debt is literally going to double, and this is going to really hit home very hard. Now, 
the Fed is, uh, you know, people would say this is very cynical. What they've been doing is they've been selling off their um, treasuries that they accumulated uh, in order to stimulate the economy during COVID. They're selling those into the market, depressing the rates. Uh, rates are actually down from their uh, high. It was about the three point. It's about three point four percent right now in a ten-year Treasury. Um, but you know, as of Octo- last October, it was four point three three percent. So they're doing that. But the, it also allows them to, you know, basically sell off. Um, you know, they're replacing um, when they go to the market and they float another Treasury uh, series. Uh, they're actually replacing um, expensive money with Mm. uh, cheap money, uh, cheap dollars and things like that. But the overall effect in terms of the debt of the United States is going up because of this ballooning uh, issue of, you know, they just don't know how to pay it off. And if Mm. long-term confidence in the U.S. drops, the U.S. is simply printing money to pay its debts. This could uh, be a a catastrophic event um, you would see a run on dollars and a collapse of the uh, dollar system uh, worldwide. Mm-hmm. Well, we're speaking with Ina Tangen, senior fellow at the Taihe Institute, and also Yan Liang, professor of economics, Villamet University. And after a short break, we'll take a look at China's May Day holiday tourism. Stay with us. Go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations. You are listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Chinese authorities said over 270 million domestic trips were made nationwide during this year's May Day holiday, and this is a year-on-year increase of 70%. During the holiday, domestic tourism revenue amounted to nearly 150 billion yuan, and this can be seen as a turning point in China's tourism sector. So, Yan, first, uh, tell us more about the May Day holiday tourism and consumption. How do you see the trend of this year? Are we seeing a strong recovery of it? I think so. Um, so, I think a, a total of 274 million domestic tricks uh, were made during the five-day break, um, according to you know China's Ministry of Culture and Tourism. So, like you said, this is a very much a big jump from last year. But even when we look at compared to pre-pandemic, these numbers of trips are still 19% more than the pre-pandemic level. And the total spending in dollar terms is around $21 billion. And that is about at par uh, with the 2019 levels. And so I think that really shows that, you know, um, with the lifting of the COVID restrictions, as people are now you know, really engage in this sort of revengeful, um, you know, tourism spending. Um, I think this really shows that, you know, consumer confidence is back, consumption demand is coming back. um, And that's really helping to recover that $1 trillion worth of domestic tourism industry. Um, Now, traveling uh, abroad is still uh, lower than the pre-pandemic level due Mm. to a variety of reasons, you know, changing consumer preferences, um, and also the uh, delayed in sort of in the 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 resumption of some of the international flights and so on and so forth. Um, but I think definitely that's a sign that you know consumer demand is um, it's strong and it's co- recovered in a robust way, and the Chinese 
Um, the Tourism Academy has estimated that you know this year we're gonna see about 4.5 billion uh, tourism trips trips this year. Mm. Um, so you know it remains to be seen if that really is such a strong rebound. But at least I think the early sign that it is showing um, that you know the consumer demand and the tourism industry and the related industries are rebounding back. Mm. So Anna, so many people seem to be seeking the tier three, tier four cities as a travel destination, and this is different from the previous years. So how would you explain this shift, and what do you think are the reasons behind this, and how might this change? contribute to the local economies of the cities? Well, it's it's very good for China. This, the shape of Chinese tourism has changed, uh, where in the past it was very fashionable to go abroad. And this is, uh, you know, it, it just kind of do the sightseeing tour to show everybody that you had been someplace and then pick up a, a handbag or some uh, uh, presents for uh, your friends and yourself. Now people want experiences. Uh, they want to go somewhere and do something. And this experience factor uh, explains a lot of why people are going to these uh, third and fourth tier cities. They're, uh, they're really going there to experience something like the uh, in Zebo, uh, they, you know, it's the all about the uh, BBQ and things mm. like this. Um, but it's, it's also, you know, you, you have to start looking at the number of uh, travelers went up by 19%, but the dollars remain the same as 2019, which tells you that there's a lot more value oriented uh, tourists out there, like for instance, for outbound, one in five Chinese outbound tourists were quote value seeking sightseers, and 19% were shoppers, according to uh, to McKinsey. So this is this is uh, a real change, um, and that uh, unfortunately is going to have beneficial effects for uh, China, as you know that consumption really starts driving, especially small medium sized business entities, because they're the ones who can take advantage. Of, they're very nimble; they can fill in uh, when people go to third and fourth tier cities. It's not the big companies that are running down there and taking care of things. It's local entrepreneurs, and this is exactly what China needs. Mm-hmm. So, Yen, the May Day holiday is a trend, but some say it is uh, exceptional in terms of the consumption habits because this is a very specific five days that people have an extended holiday. So how representative do you see it in terms of the trend of consumption in China? And what's your expectation for this year's travel growth in China? China. Well, I definitely think this May holidays, uh, you know, tourism and related spending is a sort of a barometer, right, of consumer confidence. Mm. So yes, this is sort of a surge in consumption, but I don't think it's exception. I think it just shows that the consumers are ready to spend. Overall, I think still, um, I believe, you know, the consumers are maintaining a good positive, you know, outlook of the economy now that, you know, pandemic's behind us. Um, and as we all know, you know, Chinese people are really hardworking and they are also, you know, really driven by this entrepreneurial um, spirit. And with the good policy support, um, with the right, you know, active fiscal uh, stimulus, I do see that the consumer spending will keep up strong and help to propel the economy forward. Mm-hmm. Well, we're speaking with Yan Liang, Professor of Economics, Willamette University, and also Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>